sweet is the voice that calls from the babbling waterfalls in the meadows where the downy seeds are flying. And the soft breezes blow, and the eddying come and go in faded gardens where the rose is dying. Among the stubbled corn, the blithe quail pipes at morn, the merry partridge drums in hidden places, and glittering insects gleam above the reedy stream where busy spiders spin their filmy laces. Welcome to Season by Season with Alexis and Kit, the podcast that celebrates and reforges our connection to nature and the passage of time. It is our hope that through prose, poetry, history, and sound, this podcast will help inspire your interest in the natural world around us. Together, Kit and I will be sharing observations of the seasons as we see them. We'll be looking through the lens of the 24 seasonal divisions, or mini-seasons as we like to call them, based on the progression of seasons in the traditional Japanese calendar. Now is the season of white dew, or hakuro. Spanning from September 7th to 22nd, our journey through autumn has officially begun. The mornings are wet with dew, and against the September sky the swallows begin their southward migration. Meanwhile, on goldening lawns and creek edges, the wagtails sing the song of early autumn. White dew is preceded by the mini-season End of Heat and followed by Autumn Equinox. Autumn is here at last. As in every season, there's lots to explore in the sky, in the ground, and in our lives as we begin our passage into this special period. Who knows what we will discover along the hedgerows and byways. Along the way, our opening poem, September, by George Arnold, will be our guide. Now, let's set out. Our opening poem reveals a fading bucolic scene. Under a September sky, we imagine okra gardens and fields. Yet amid the drying grasses, life carries on industriously. The spider webs catch the light, and the underbrush rustles as creatures scurry about. The meadows where the downy seeds are flying, and soft the breezes blow, brings to mind a few Kigo or seasonal words, autumn fields, autumn grasses, and autumn flowers. You know, Albert Camus called autumn a second spring, with every leaf a flower. The world is transitioning to a new color and sensibility. In Japan, a hallmark of this season is Aki no Nanakusa, or in English, the seven flowers and grasses of autumn. Beloved autumn harbingers since before the classical period, these constant constellations of the autumn field include bush clover, hagi, Japanese silvergrass, susuki, Japanese arrowroot, kuzu, pink, nadeshiko, valerian, ominaeshi, joe pieweed, fujibakama, and the balloon flower, kikyo. Sometimes morning glories and chrysanthemums are included in this mix. Flowers blossoming in autumn fields. When I count them on my fingers, 
then they number seven. This poem, written by Yamanoe no Okura in the Manyoshu Imperial Anthology, is believed to be the poem that first began the notion of the seven grasses and flowers of autumn. Many listeners here in the United States might be quite familiar with two of these autumn flowers, Joe Pieweed, which is native to the eastern United States, and Kuzu, or Kudzu, an invasive species found throughout the south and eastern seaboard. Speaking of Kudzu, I feel that in the United States we talk about Kudzu with a bit of disdain. While it is highly invasive, and if unmanaged can entirely inundate a landscape, the plant actually has many benefits. Kudzu is often used to improve soil, for as a legume it fixes the nitrogen. As food, kudzu starch can be used as a thickener, and can also be eaten in a form similar to tofu. In Asia in particular, kudzu is used as a medicinal substance, treating cold and fever, and a variety of other symptoms. And that's just the beginning. Wow, who knew about kudzu? Another line of our September poem describes Among the stubbled corn, the blithe quail pipes at morn. This reminds me of a popular motif in Japanese art that symbolizes the autumn season, the quail amid the seven autumn grasses. Interestingly, in China and Japan, the quail has three symbolic meanings. Martial valor for their fighting spirit, of autumn, and of poverty because their coloration brings to mind tattered clothing. The silence between us. A quail finds its way through the underbrush. By a polonia tree, a quail is crying inside the garden. In poetry, the quail often seems to be crying, an inherently lonely sound. This season has many melancholic connotations. We can find this melancholy mirrored in nature in the name of our mini-season, White Dew. Dew's ephemeral quality can be felt in these poems. Bush Clover My heart is withered. Even dew on the branches of bush clover is futile in the autumn evening. Dewdrops on a blade of grass Having so little time before the sun rises, let not the autumn wind blow so quickly on the field. About our second poem, author Stephen Hine wrote, Here the dew epitomizes the fleeting quality of all things, and the poet chides the wind for causing the evaporation of the dew in order to neither resist nor waste time that flows at an ever-quickening pace. People must seize the opportunity to take advantage of the fleeting but complete here-and-now moments that recur in the inevitable movement from life to death. So, from this poem, we can infer carpe diem, or perhaps make hay while the dew shines? Exactly. <laughs> and speaking of shining dew, the white dew to this mini-season refers to the shining dew as it catches the light. This short-lived beauty exists only briefly, 
and it stirs one to action. The notion of movement and progress brings to mind journeys. I go, thou stayest, two autumns. Travelers set out in familiar grass, autumn dew. Blowing from the west, fallen leaves gather in the east. One classic journey of the season is the return to school. Every autumn, after the summer has ended, we undergo the journey of learning. Starting off on a journey always has excitement to it. And who knows where that journey will take us? Across fields? Through forests? Let's continue our poetic wanderings through September and on to our next leg of the journey. At eve, cool shadows fall across the garden wall and on the clustered grapes to purple turning, and pearly vapors lie along the eastern sky where the broad harvest moon is redly burning. At eve, cool shadows fall. Darker days are another sure sign of autumn. Slowly but surely, the nights are getting longer. Here in California, we're having days with about 12 hours of sunlight, already down from around 15 hours at the height of summer. This might not seem like such a drastic change if you're living in, say, Northern Europe, where you may be getting six fewer hours of sunlight since the summer solstice. It's getting dark earlier here in New York, too. With the changing of the season comes the changing of the light. With the evening setting in earlier and earlier, and the dawn arriving later, we may have more of a chance to notice sunsets and sunrises. Speaking of sunsets, do you feel that the sunsets of autumn are more vibrant than in previous months? As the sun sinks beyond the horizon, the sky is filled with rich, intense colors noticeably more colorful than the more muted tones of summer. Part of the reason may be because in autumn, weather patterns are typically windy, replacing haze particles left from stifling summer with cleaner, drier air conditions. So color vibrancy is increased, producing brilliant sunsets with spectacular hues of oranges, reds, and pinks. Autumn sunset is one of our kigo, or seasonal phrases, for this time of year. On a bare branch, crows have settled. Autumn sunset. This haiku by Basho, one of his most well-known, also features another image I think we in the West tend to associate with fall. Crows. Yes, you know, that's true. Crows are non-migratory birds. So why does it seem we notice them more in the fall? One reason is their roosting habits change in late summer, so they're seen to be more active to farmers during the busy harvest season. Historically, crows have some association with prophetic divination. 
Perhaps due to their high intelligence, crows were seen as especially wise animals, and observing them was thought to be one way to divine the future. This inspired the traditional rhyme about counting crows. One for sorrow, two for mirth, three for a funeral, and four for birth. So two and four crows may be seen as the omen of good news, but you really don't want to see one or three. Of course, crows are very social birds, so it's likely you'll see them in even larger groups than that. In the fall, they're particularly active around dawn and dusk. Their distinctive caw, caw, is a notable sound of the season for me. You know, just as crows are getting busier in the evenings, so too are we humans. Living here in the city, it's a familiar sight that as the sky darkens earlier, we see lights coming on in the buildings where people are hard at work. It's clear that the long, lazy days of summer are over. There's a renewed sense of vigor in the evenings as students are hitting the books studying and workers are working hard, perhaps newly refreshed after their summer vacation. In fact, a study by the Harvard Business School found that workers are actually most productive in autumn. It seems that as the sunny weather of summer ends, people tend to focus more on the work at hand rather than be distracted by thoughts of what they could be doing in that summer sunshine. I think the phrase autumn vigor describes this productivity nicely. You know, that brings to mind something special growing in autumnal forests that also prefers less than full sunshine. Mushrooms. Mushrooms, huh? The vigorous growth of mushrooms is reflected in the expression popping up like a mushroom, which refers to something that appears quickly or unexpectedly. Shrooms can seem to grow out of sheer force of will. Many mushroom species appear seemingly overnight, particularly in autumn. The dewy conditions of fall lend a hand to moisture absorption in these fungi, causing them to expand rapidly. This is something that attracts mushroom hunters to the forests throughout the season. Actually, mushroom hunting is a popular pastime that has led to annual mushroom festivals. Here in the United States, there are more than a dozen mushroom festivals held annually for the mycologists and mycophagists among us. September is National Mushroom Month, so there's no better time to become a mycophagist. That is, a person who eats mushrooms. Mushrooms not only have sublimely earthy and umami flavors, they're also packed with nutrients like vitamin D. And they are delicious. What's your favorite mushroom, Kit? Hmm, well, when I lived in Japan, I tried matsutake mushrooms for the first time. They have a rich, incredibly savory flavor. I could eat them every day if I could afford to. But other mushroom varieties still have their charms. Matsutake are delicious, but yes, they're, they're quite expensive. I like eringi mushrooms, also known as the king oyster mushroom. There are many, many ways to enjoy the humble mushrooms, and many delightful varieties to try. Listeners, we've included a special mushroom recipe on our website. But you know, going back to mushroom hunting and foraging, it is a rewarding pastime. 
but remember to only eat mushrooms you can positively identify. As the old saying goes, there are old mushroom hunters and there are bold mushroom hunters, but there are no old bold mushroom hunters. Do your research and stay safe out there. You can't go wrong picking your mushrooms as I do from the supermarket. Mushroom hunting. Keep to the path within the mountain. Pines shed their needles. Come mushroom hunting time, who'll be here? Pine mushrooms live a thousand years in one autumn. Let's find our way back from that mushroom hunting path and resume our journey through September. Inspired by those clustered grapes to purple turning, let's take time for Hiro's Corner by Hiroaki Sato and narrated by Ed von Atterkass. Grapes. Budol. In Japan, there are two kinds of grapes. The grapes that grow naturally in the wild and the grapes that human beings cultivate. The latter are said to be a species brought from China, and its cultivation started in the late 12th century in a small area in Kai province, also known as Koshu. That's today's Yamashina. It's said that the buying and selling of grapes started only in the Edo period, which is 1603 to 1868. As you can imagine from the limited means of transportation of those days, the distribution of grapes was also very limited making grapes very in demand and the area's famous product, or meibutsu. Thus, the observation of the great political thinker Ogyu Sorai, who lived in the late 17th, early 18th century, in his travelogue down the Koshu Road. The post station of Katsunuma thrives with a number of houses, making it the greatest spot on the route, the Koshu grape is the famous product of this province. And uh, similarly, Basho, uh, who also lived in the 17th century, came up with the following haiku when he trekked through the Koshu road. In Katsunuma, even a pack horse driver devours grapes. Pack horse drivers were among the poorest laborers. So in this haiku, Basho is saying that in this region, even the poor fellow walking with his horse that he, Basho, has rented to ride casually, gets to eat the famous but plentiful produce of the area. Grapes didn't really become a seasonal word for haiku until the 20th century. And when it comes to the association of grapes with wine, that didn't take hold until several decades later, with the word wine becoming a seasonal word for haiku. A stylish kigo at that, something associated with Europe, and therefore precious and admirable. Before that, wine, or rather the Japanese word for it, budoshu, grape drink, was mainly meant a medicinal drink. For example, Mazaoka Shiki had this haiku. The beer is bitter, the grape drink puckery, the rose flower. Here are two haiku on grapes, both by women. 
In the light through the leaves, the green balls translucid, the grapes. They're all spitting out grape seeds. One person, another. I hope you also enjoy grapes this season. Just remember to clean up the seeds afterwards. Grapes are one of my favorite fruits, and I'm so glad to have them throughout the seasons. This season's grape harvest is especially important for that ever-special grape drink, wine. Drink a toast to Dionysus, the god of wine and ecstasy, the sun of the moon. Gather with friends to celebrate the vine with a bottle of good wine and good cheer. Catch the moon's reflection in your cup and raise it up in salutation. This toast harkens back to our journey through September, as the broad harvest moon is redly burning. Catching the harvest moon reflection in your cup will have to wait a little longer this year, though. The harvest moon, the full moon occurring closest to the autumn equinox, isn't until October 1st in 2020. Even so, we want to discuss the harvest moon during this season, as it is such an important seasonal event across many cultures. The Harvest Moon Festival in Japan, and its counterpart Mid-Autumn Festival in China and Vietnam, was historically celebrated on the 15th day of the 8th lunar month, or by the Gregorian calendar in the middle of September. The harvest moon traditionally was considered the brightest and most beautiful moon of the year. In fact, in haiku, the word moon, with no other modifiers, almost always refers to the harvest moon. It's considered one of the most important autumn kigo. In a collection of essays called the Tsurezuregusa, the monk Yoshida Kenko wrote, The autumn moon is incomparably beautiful. Any man who supposes the moon is always the same, regardless of the season, and is therefore unable to detect the difference in autumn, must be exceedingly insensitive. The autumn moon is indeed glorious. During the Heian period in Japan, aristocrats would hold moon-viewing parties and recite poetry under this marvelous moon. Haiku readings under the harvest moon are still popular to this day. Japanese silvergrass, one of our seven grasses of autumn, is used as a decorative motif of the Harvest Moon Festival and moon viewing parties. The tall silvergrass stalks with silver-white tassels resemble rice plants and represent the harvest of the season. Along with enjoying the moon's natural beauty and the poetry it inspires, moon viewers also enjoy tsukimidango, made with mochi, during the moon festival. The tsukimi in tsukimidango means moon viewing. The round mochi dumplings resemble the moon. Mochi has another moon connection. In the Western world, we often see the man in the moon. That is, the moon's face may resemble a man looking down on us. In Japan, it's a rabbit that's seen on the moon. And the rabbit is pounding mochi. The Mid-Autumn Festival in China also features treats resembling the moon, mooncakes. Filled with sweet red bean paste or lotus paste, 
These are made to be shared with family and friends. Let's take a few moments now to reflect on the beauty of the moon with some haiku from moon festivals past. Imagine, on our journey, we have just stumbled upon a celestial gathering of haiku masters through the ages, having an outdoor party under the moon. What haiku will they compose for us? The harvest moon hangs over it. Rice cake gift. Under the harvest moon, awestruck crows curb their voices. Occasional clouds, one gets a rest from moon viewing. Around the lone moon, countless stars, the sky now green. Whatever you wear becomes beautiful. Moon viewing. The moon looks cozier in the sky when you see it through the bamboo blind. Straight out of a full moon painting, the geese depart. Soon, on field and hill, the wind shall whistle chill, and patriarch swallows call their flocks together to fly from frost and snow and seek for lands where blow the fairer blossoms of a balmier weather. The cricket chirps all day, oh, fairest summer stay! The squirrel eyes askance the chestnuts browning, the wild fowl fly afar above the foamy bar and hastens southward ere the skies are frowning. September is a unique month, I believe. You're experiencing two seasons, two emotions, basking in all the bounty of late summer, while simultaneously we anticipate what lies ahead. In this poem, the birds know what awaits, the cold of winter, and they begin their journey southward. Yet, the glow of warm days will stay with us a while longer. As poet John Keats famously wrote, Autumn is the season of mists and mellow fruitfulness. Yes, in September the fruits are all around. In the orchard the apples are ripening. And as discussed in Hiro's Corner, so too are the grapes. There's another fruit to the season which I love best, sadly inedible, yet oh so beautiful the delightful horse chestnut. What a huge one, how splendid it was, the chestnut. I couldn't get at it. Horse chestnut, how many days till you roll down the mountain? Growing up to around 30 meters, the horse chestnut comes in many varieties, including European, Japanese, and Indian. They produce flowers in spring, and in autumn, prickly green husks ripen and split to release one or two shiny mahogany brown nuts. Although a typical image of the horse chestnut may be in fields or village greens, they are also commonly planted in cities in Europe. In Paris, 
The horse chestnut trees can be found on many grand boulevards, such as the Champs-Élysées, and formal park settings, such as the Luxembourg Gardens. Though autumn winds blow, it is still green, burr of chestnut. The last haiku combines two kigo, chestnuts and autumn winds. Although the foliage of the horse chestnut will begin to golden later, it's around this time of year that the chestnuts ripen and fall. The famous diarist Anne Frank wrote about a horse chestnut tree just outside her window. From her diary, Nearly every morning I go to the attic to blow the stuffy air out of my lungs. From my favorite spot on the floor I look up at the blue sky and the bare chestnut tree, on whose branches little raindrops shine, appearing like silver, and at the seagulls and other birds as they glide on the wind. As long as this exists, I thought, and I may live to see it, this sunshine, the cloudless skies, while this lasts, I cannot be unhappy. This venerable tree was estimated to be between 150 and 170 years old when it fell in a storm in 2010, after being weakened for many years by disease. However, several saplings were prepared prior to the death of the tree. You can find offsprings of Anne's chestnut tree at the White House, the Boston Common, the Holocaust Memorial Center, and Liberty Park at Ground Zero in New York City, as well as many other places. The Sapling Project, as it is known, reminds us of how nature is a part of hopes and dreams, and through nature, we can foster understanding. Through nature, we have the chance to discover new things about the world around us and ourselves. Discovery through nature is done by experiencing it, which again reminds me to one of the themes of this episode, autumn journeys. Typically, we might wander on a road or path, but what about through forests or meadows? Our companions may be the clouds and the flowers. There's a few flowers in particular, which strike me as very vagabond Kigo for this mini season. The first are Cosmos, which add a sense of carefree splendor. Oh yes, cosmos are beloved by gardeners and meadows alike. Their cheerful daisy-like faces of white, pink, red, and orange can add a burst of late season color. Cosmos are known to self-seed, so it's not surprising that they can be found merrily growing in bunches both in and out of gardens. They have a bit of a reputation as travelers. We are the roadside flowers, straying from garden grounds, lovers of idle hours, breakers of ordered bounds. If only the earth will feed us, if only the wind be kind, we blossom for those who need us, the stragglers left behind. And lo, the lord of the garden he makes his sun to rise and his rain to fall like pardon on our dusty paradise. Another flower of the season that quickly travels is goldenrod. 
Here on the East Coast throughout the month of July, goldenrod has been steadily blooming. But these early September days are a fond farewell. The flowers ripen to a deep yellow, and the landscape turns gold. O golden month, how high thy gold is heaped! The yellow birch leaves shine like bright coins strung on wands. The chestnut's yellow pennons tongue to every wind its harvest challenge. Steeped in yellow, still lie fields where wheat was reaped, and yellow still the corn sheaves stacked among the yellow gourds, which from the earth have wrung her utmost gold. To highest boughs have leaped the purple grape, last thing to ripen, late, by very reason of its precious cost. O oh heart, remember, vintages are lost if grapes do not for freezing night dews wait. Think, while thou sunnest thyself in joy's estate, mayhap thou canst not ripen without frost. Now that is a poem with the Midas touch. Now comes a fragrant breeze through the dark cedar trees and round about my temples fondly lingers in gentle playfulness like to the soft caress bestowed in happier days by loving fingers. Yet, though a sense of grief comes with the falling leaf and memory makes the summer doubly pleasant, in all my autumn dreams a future summer gleams, passing the fairest glories of the present. The last day of this mini-season is the autumn equinox. As the time passes, we can feel that the year is growing old. Yes, autumn is a reminder that long summer days don't last forever. As the year is growing old, slowly in our time, so too are we. <laughs> well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Though I suppose it's true, we're all getting older, day by day. In our society, Getting older tends to be something we fear, I think. Perhaps we can learn a lesson from autumn. Those long summer days may not last forever, but the vibrant colors of autumn are all the more beautiful for them. As we're talking about getting older, there's actually a holiday in Japan that celebrates this. Respect for the Age Day occurs on the third Monday of September every year. Living a long and healthy life is worth celebrating, after all. And in Japan, the elderly population is generally held in high regard. Respect for the aged day is a day to celebrate the accomplishments and the wisdom gained by elders. Many families use the three-day weekend to spend time together. Some volunteer to distribute free meals to senior citizens. Japan currently has the highest number of centenarians in the world, and it has often been positive that a contributing factor to this could be the culture of treasuring the elderly. Yes, it's much more pleasant to view getting older as something to be celebrated. In any case, as we've touched on, I believe autumn naturally lends itself to reflection. As we get older, I hope we will find more and more to celebrate in our lives. The year may be growing older, but this isn't the end. Maybe it's just the beginning of a new autumn journey. There's a quote from Tolkien from the Fellowship of the Rings. 
he found himself wondering at times, especially in the autumn, about the wild lands and strange visions of mountains that he had never seen came into his dreams. This feeling of wondering about faraway places is something I too have felt in the autumn. There's a wonderful word for this in German, Fernweh, or farsickness, the antonym of homesickness. Yes, that's it. One feels a sense of Fernweh. The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road has gone, and I must follow if I can, pursuing it with eager feet until it joins some larger way, where many paths and errands meet, and whether then, I cannot say. This walking song from Tolkien captures the eagerness and wonder of the beginning of a journey. This is a song that will have many parts, but at the beginning, there's a sense of hope. It's a good song for September. In fact, Bilbo Baggins, the fictional writer of this song, has his birthday on the last day of our season, September the 22nd. For those who may not be aware, Bilbo Baggins is the hero of the book The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. From the prologue of The Lord of the Rings, hobbits are an unobtrusive but very ancient people. They love peace and quiet and good tilled earth. A well-ordered and well-farmed countryside was their favorite haunt. Tolkien wrote in his letters that he considered himself to be very like a hobbit in every way but size. It's easy to see how these fantasy creatures could win over the hearts of many. We can identify. Happy birthday, Bilbo. And happy birthday, too to Bilbo's nephew Frodo, with whom he shares a birthday. September 22nd has been gaining popularity as Hobbit Day in recent years. You know, hobbits really are amazing creatures. How will you be celebrating Hobbit Day this year? Hmm, maybe I'll enjoy some good food in their honor. I'll try cooking something that's especially a hobbit favorite, mushrooms. That's the spirit. And before we close, May I wish just one more happy birthday to someone very special celebrating a birthday in this mini-season? Yes, Kit? Happy birthday, Alexis! (laughs) (laughs) What an amazing journey this episode has been! Thank you for joining us as we've explored what is happening in the sky, the earth, and our lives during the season of White Dew. In the season ahead, we hope you will take time to reflect on the fairest glories of the present, and maybe undertake some autumn adventures of your own. In this episode, some of the seasonal words, or kigo, we explored are autumn grasses, the seven flowers of autumn, quail, dew, traveling, journeys, new beginnings, back to school, darkening days, autumn sunsets, autumn vigor, crows, ripening fruit, mushrooms, grapes, the harvest moon, horse chestnuts, roadside flowers of cosmos and goldenrod, respect for the age day, and Bilbo and Frodo Baggins's birthday. So many Kigo. I think this is a testament to how much we love autumn. And honestly, this is just the beginning. 
What are some other words you associate with these early autumn days? If you'd like to share, email nourishingjapan at gmail.com and we'll post your seasonal words to our Facebook group. We'd like to extend a special thanks once again to Hiroaki Sato for his juicy contribution segment, Hiro's Corner, narrated in this episode by Ed Von Adderkass. We would also like to thank Andrew Littlejohn, Ann Chow, Gail Wine, Chris Whitaker, Mara Rosencrantz, Porfirio Figueroa, Carl Smith, Burnaby Ted Costales, Cyrus Lanthier, and Melissa Kibit for their readings today. Also, a special thanks to Bruce Keynes, who served as our audio guide through September. We would also like to provide a heartfelt thanks to the amazing harpist, Shelley Otis, who performed two songs you heard on today's episode, Band of Shearers and Clear Stream. The works featured in this podcast are in the public domain or with permission from their creators. This episode, you heard poems and prose by George Arnold, Yamana Ue no Okura, Michael Dylan Welch, Basho, Fujiwara Kinmori, Dogen Zenji, Isa, Busan, Den Sutejo, Chiyojo, Shiki, Kawai Chigetsu, William Carmen, Anne Frank, and J.R.R. Tolkien. If you'd like to learn more about them, please visit our website, nourishingjapan.com. Also, new as of this episode, we've launched the season-by-season companion playlist on Spotify. Our hand-curated playlists bring the spirit and sound of our 24 mini-seasons to enjoy all season long. Just search for Season by Season Podcast on Spotify. Meanwhile, as Longfellow wrote, there is a beautiful spirit breathing now. Go forth and enjoy these thoughtful golden days. We hope you'll join us again for our next episode as our autumn journey continues and the hills blush with crimson October hues. See you in another season.